Good morning. Great to be gathered with you again today as I'm videoing and you may not know, see outside, but it's raining. So it's good to be here working in this and uh, looking forward to our conversation about this new prophet we're looking at, Obadiah. I'm going to open us up with prayer and jump right in. So here we go. Father, for the gift of your word that I'm celebrating today and those gathered with me also are celebrating for its life-bringing gift. Asking for now your spirit, your Holy Spirit that works through, that brings understanding, it will also work in and through us to form us by your word. For your glory and for our life, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here we are looking at our... Uh, most recent, latest prophet, we've gone through Hosea, Joel, Amos, and now we're on our fourth, Obadiah. Just a quick reminder that in the ancient Jewish Bible canon, these minor prophets are all one book. And it's our canon that has separated them out and, and has done so, relating them and calling them minor prophets in, in regards to how much material is written and not to be disparaging about importance. Uh, very, that, that's an important understanding today because Obadiah is the, perhaps it, along with one we're going to look at later, Nahum, maybe the most overlooked book in the Bible. Um, and, and I dare say most folks have never even read it. They may have heard of it, but they've not read it. And humorously, it's probably the easiest to read because it's also the shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, but one of the reasons I think that people don't um, know it or read it or uh, are interested in it. One is because it's, it's, it's length, it's short, and minor prophets are more difficult for us kind of to grapple or get into. But also it's the uh, archetype of prophecy that is a prophecy of judgment. And that judgment is out against a, a nation that we don't even have any correlation or awareness of anymore, the Edomites. Um, Go talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. But there's only 21 verses, so it's humorous that we don't read it um, because it's so short. And, and the fact that um, uh, in 21 verses, uh, a lot is, is portrayed, but it also just gets lost, I guess is the best way that I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to do it in my typical form. I'm going to read just the first couple of verses and the last couple of verses, and, and humorously, I probably would have time to read the whole thing, but I don't want to take up that time here. But uh, starts off with the book of Obadiah. And he writes, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God. And, and, and please hold on to that understanding, that word, that phrasing, Lord God. I'm going to talk about it again in here in a minute. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. And an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who lived in the clefts of the rocks and the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the earth? Though you build high like an eagle, you set your nest among the stars. From there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. And that's what I'm going to read, and that's this, the first four verses. And, and Obadiah may be giving us some sense of 
who the Edomites were, where they were located, high in the mountains. Um, they had a, a capital that became a capital after they'd been taken over by another country, uh, Petra. That is a fortress that's set up in the mountains that was only accessible by one kind of road that went up through a canyon um, and made it very defensed our ability to have strong defenses there and the allusion then to the eagles the nests being up high reflects that understanding of where they were uh, located most likely south of the Sea of Galilee so way down in the low part of the country <clears throat> and we're gonna have more conversation about who they were in a minute and then reading then in the last um, three verses 19 20 and 21 and, and you'll see why later in my conversation with you why this is important then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of Sephelah, the Philistine plain. And they will possess the territory of Ephraim, and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Seraphad, will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Now, quickly, I'm just going to re make reference to these last three verses. One of the interesting things about this prophet is these verses are done in prose, and all the other verses, the first 18, are done in poetry. And reminding you again, Hebraic poetry is based on uh, rhythm and not meter like our poetry is. In this prose, uh, one of the reasons we don't pay a lot of attention, we don't make connections to what the, the author, Obadiah, is saying, the countries and the Negev and the Shephenla and the Philistine plain and so on and so forth. That it, but it's an expression of, of what he's writing about is what the, the coming into the judgment when the nation, uh, the, 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 the nation, the covenant relationship with God's people will come to its fruition. It's the day of the Lord consummated when they take their rightful place in judgment of the world. That's what is being referred to. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion. That's a ref remnant. And it's a reference to the remnant will come up onto God's mountain to judge the mountain of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord. So I'm going to have more conversation about that later in that like all the other prophets we've been seeing, one of the, the primary focuses excuse me, of Obadiah is this prophecy of the day of the Lord. More of that later, because I really want to get into it that what do we know about Obadiah? It's very little. Uh, unlike, again, the other prophets that we've had a, a chance to look at, there's no genealogy mentioned here, no references to kingdoms, no references to kings, <coughs> um, or, or who Obadiah is. Um, there's no birthplace or residence which are indicated. And, and so it makes it very difficult to locate when this was written and, and we know why it was written. Um, but it, it appears that it's, it's written as a prophecy in response to an invasion that takes place in Jerusalem. And then the problem is we don't know which of those dates because Jerusalem, historically in the Old Testament, we know there was four primary times when the Edomites, and I'm going to talk more about them here in a minute, participated in destroying or attacking Jerusalem. Uh, one in 926, 
Um, and that's, that, that's, that narrative is, in, is included in the, in the book of 1 Kings, the 14th chapter. Another one that took place in 840, uh, again, this is all B.C., that is, is recorded in 2 Chronicles, the historical chapters there. A third one, perhaps in 790, which is recorded in 2 Kings, which is about the time of the fall of the northern kingdom, Israel. And then the fourth, which most commentators believe is what Obadiah is referencing to and responding to, is 605 to 586, when Babylon comes and destroys Jerusalem, that Edom participated in that. But it's not directly referenced, and so we don't know and we have to interpret, which then makes the interpretation difficult in just in the sense of locating it in time. That um, most likely the fourth, because it was so cataclysmic for the nation of Judah, or the understanding the broader people of Israel, not the northern kingdom, but the people now, believe it's there as well or the first which was again the most significant uh, the, the two in between ones are kind of lesser but so you can see there's a 200 year variation there which is important for folks to do this kind of work but we are only told then <coughs> that this is a, a vision of Obadiah whose source as I said is the sovereign Lord or in my translation New American it said the Lord God, which is a, a divine title and a word usage that's only used here in Obadiah in this one verse, nowhere else, <coughs> that is also used particularly by the prophet Ezekiel and by the prophet Amos that we talked about last week. And so some commentators believe that's why in the Jewish canon, Amos and Obadiah are backed up against each other because of the same catchword phrase, if you will, to refer to God, the divine title of the sovereign Lord or the Lord God that is used, but also um, because of the, the, the theme that is a part of Obadiah, the day of judgment, is also common in Amos, and that may be a, a part of there. And then finally, in Amos, and we didn't talk about it, but in the ninth chapter, Amos talks about the remnant of Edom. Um, and in so that's why, canon-wise, it may be put together and why it follows one or the other. There's also an interesting that it starts off with the vision of Obadiah. This is a, a, a Hebrew word that's hazon. And, and it is a word that means more than just to see with your eyes. It has a, um, it's more than just a, a literal visual revelation. And that's a term that is used, in, again, in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Um, it encompasses also the idea of a spoken communication, which is also this word hazon is used in Isaiah and Nahum, who we're going to talk about later, um, for a spoken reception of God's word, as well as a, not just a, a literal visual of that. So vision can have a broad understanding of the manner of reception that the prophet receives the word of God from, and, and uh, maybe referring then to a genre of, of receiving God's word. And that could be in a state of excitement. It could be in a dream. It could be in a direct vision. It could be an auditory word. So I want you to understand that's a very broad sense term used here. Um, and, and then that vision, as well as this uh, vision of, uh, with the divine call of, of the Lord God, the title given there, um, brackets this book in the verse, verse and in the 21st verse. 
Um, and, and so it's showing in that the sovereignty of God, not just over Edom and not just over Israel, but in the broadest sense over the whole of creation, which is a, a natural prophetic tendency and truth of God's sovereignty over all. And interestingly, also, that word that is used by Obadiah, the vision, the hazon, is picked up only in Isaiah and Nahum. So, who, let's look in, in the sense of, he's a prophecy of judgment against the nation of Edom. And who is Edom? And, and only if you remember way back in the Genesis, uh, the connection of, of the descendants of Esau are Edomites. Jacob has a twin brother. Genesis 25 through 36 is the children of Abraham, Isaac, and then to Isaac come Jacob and Esau. And remembering the story that, that Jacob steals the birthright of Esau. Uh, Jacob, uh, whose name literally means the, the usurper or the one clinging to the heel. And the image there is of the birth of, of, of Esau and Jacob. And Jacob is holding on to the ankle of his brother as he comes out of the birth canal. But um, at that time... Esau is also giving the name of Edom, which in Hebrew means red. Um, and, and it may mean he was uh, very oxygenated and very red in his skin. Swarthy would be a way that we may say that in our, our language. But he carries this name of the red, um, perhaps also with his beard. And remembering that he was the outdoorsman. He was the hunter and the collector and gatherer. And so he may have just been red all the time from being out in the sun and being sunburned or, or not healthy. But it's the contrast of, of, of you remember the, the story of um, Esau and Jacob is one of contention. And Jacob, the usurper, steals the birthright and then runs away and comes back and all that. Well, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau who did not receive the birthright. Um, God prospered them on their own, but it, it's a different lineage. It's a cousins, if you will, from God's people. Now, that's important because throughout the Old Testament, especially in Numbers and then in Samuel, we see the clash of the Israelites, the people of God, with Edom. When Moses brings them out of, of Egypt and for the Exodus, they have to pass through the land of Edomites who won't let them and, and create strife. They have to go around. There's war, basically, and the Israelites choose not to and, and have to go around. So that creates the problem at the very beginning of who they are. And then we know there's another huge battle when they oppose Saul. They fight David and numerous... Um, collections throughout the Old Testament of these rebellions against the kings of both the southern kingdom Judah and the northern kingdom Israel. And so there's great contention by these relatives of the Israelites who never support and are always antagonizing, always uh, a part of, of anyone who attacks uh, the nation of Israel. Um, Edom is a part of that. Uh, interesting to note is that uh, Herod the Great was an Edomite. And, and uh, uh, that, so that lineage continues on even in the New Testament. And, and the cantankerous relationships continue for a long time. We also know, and I say this every time, to, to know the name of, of the Hebrew name for Obadiah, what it means. 
literally means a servant of the Lord, of the Lord, Yahweh, or a worshiper of Yahweh. And that's all we know about Obadiah. It's one of, he's one of 12 other people in the Old Testament who have that name. Um, so it doesn't allow us to locate who Obadiah is either. So it, for all these kind of reasons, Obadiah is a, uh, a book that we don't get into very often. Um, as I said, it's, it's basically, as we read it, there's 21 verses that are targeting the nation of Edom, an indictment upon them for their cruel injustices uh, forged against God's people, and seeing them as a villain who work against the, God's covenant. Um, and, and remember, the, the Abrahamic covenant it, with Abraham is for landed people, and, and God also says, those who support you, I will support, and those who work against you, Israel, I will work against. And so that's just a reflection upon that. Here's this country that has worked hard against Israel, and so the judgment is coming upon them. And we see within the, the prophecy, the oracle that is given to Obadiah, who is now sharing it with the people, and it's not being taken to Edom, it's given to the people of Israel. And I'm going to talk about that as well here in a minute. It has a progression. The, the kind of the first statement that Obadiah makes is that they have stood, the people of Edom have stood by while Jerusalem was invaded. And then the people not only stood by, but they rejoiced that the people in the captivity after this uh, ransacking of Jerusalem. That's why most commentators attribute it to the fourth, um, the, the later with the Babylon um, captivity. And then uh, the progression moves, not only do they rejoice, but then they participate in the sacking of Jerusalem. And finally, the, the most heinous crime is they set up roadblocks of the people who are escaping out of Jerusalem specifically to enslave them and kill them and, and work, you know, uh, that's just detrimental to what's, what's being done there. Um, but, so the, the all these first 20 verses, if you will, are the indictment and the judgment against Edom. But it's the last line of the book that moves us, if you will, or lets us, or steps us out of the ongoing hatred and rivalry between Edom and the nation of Israel. Um, focus here on Judah and, and Jerusalem as, as a victim of Edomite aggression is suddenly moved to a different place um, at the consummation or the culmination of all the injustices in the past as Israel, the nation, takes up their position of rule over creation and over all the ancient enemies of which Edomite is one of those. Um, but instead of doing to others what had been done to them, which in many ways would continue and propagate the cycle of violence, and we see that in our own world, especially now in, in uh, some of the African countries of Sudan where uh, one is attacked and someone comes back and attacks. And so someone does something and, and the cycle of violence continues and memories are long. In Obadiah, that cycle is broken as in the end of judgment, Israel will stand in its place and will be the uh, priests of God for all the world, and they will be administering justice of God's justice, justly to everyone, breaking that cycle. And so the context, this final verse, 
20, 21st verse is a new context of the finality of God's kingdom. And in that, realizing that they have a new vocation, which are representing God's rule to the world. Um, and while it's not much, it's one verse out of the 21, um, it is to provide that glimmer of hope, which again, as I set up in the very beginning, and I, I'm, I bring back over and over in our prophetic words, <coughs> the prophets always lift up judgment and prophecy that's accompanied by hope. It's not just judgment. So, um, when we... Um, um, when we look at it, we have to recognize that the, the prophet is speaking out and against the people of Edom, but he's not sending this or giving this to the Edoms or the Edomites, like we had Amos who goes up into the northern kingdom, specifically to the temple at Bethel, to pronounce his judgment. Obadiah is not doing that. Um, it, the purpose of the book has is not been stated for that, but we have to infer. <clears throat> from the historical and mechanical situation. Um, and most likely is believed that it's being delivered, the prophecy is being delivered to the Jewish survivors of some Jerusalem destruction, most likely the one that took place with Babylon because it really was destroyed. The other times it was just kind of attacked. Um, and it is meant to provide encouragement to know that uh, the treachery of Edom will not go unpunished. And to know then all the enemies of God, uh, captured up in this theme of the day of judgment, will also receive their justice, as we've seen in, in Joel as well as Amos. And so the enemies of God, which is part of this covenant relation understanding, will get their comeuppance. But... Um, um, it's, so it lifts up the sense of hope because it's not the end for God's people wherever they are experiencing or feeling at this point most likely in their own exile or in their own destruction. So Obadiah's message from beginning to end concerns the Lord's judgment of Egypt, Egypt of Edom. I keep getting it caught in my... But its role in the book extends beyond just understanding of Edomites to a broader sense of all the nations and anyone that opposes God, and especially God's people. Um, so that day of judgment is lifted up and is being celebrated. We have to infer a little bit by that 21st verse uh, with the judgments that are going on before that. But as you read it, it's interesting to note that in the 21 verses, that it's, it's, there is a structure to this. That it's divided into two different sections of which the, the first oracle that's being delivered, the vision that has been given to Obadiah, and whether that was a, a vision with eye or auditory or reflection, we don't know. But the, the oracle is directly, first one specifically against Edom, that is then um, supported by three other smaller oracles, if you will, against the perils of pride and their treacherous behavior and the approaching judgment with the list of all the sins of Edom. Um, now, also interesting for me is that there, within this section of the, of, of the first 15 verses, there's a great parallel in Jeremiah, the 49th chapter, verses 7 through 22. Um, and, and I'm going to read just a part of that so you'll hear. Concerning Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is there no longer any wisdom in Taman, 
which is a direct reference to what is being is you'll read in, in Obadiah. Has good counsel been lost? Has the wisdom decayed? Flee away, turn back, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I will bring disaster of Esau upon him. And I'm going to stop there because it goes on for another 12 verses. It is very, very similar. It's not word for word, but there is an echoing of, of Jeremiah's prophecy that is also found in Obadiah. And, and it leads commentators and people who do this work to study that uh, uh, Obadiah may be an echo of what uh, has been written earlier in Jeremiah, or perhaps there was a, another uh, common source that they both were drawing from or aware of. So just to be aware that when you go to read it, I invite you, go back and read Jeremiah 49, verses 7 through 22, and see how closely related they are. And then the second oracle, the second major oracle that Obadiah brings forth, uh, describes the tables be, being turned against all those nations, but specifically Edom against Judah. So the, by the 15th verse, we see the broadening of the prophecy, the judgment against anyone opposes Judah, and then that, that final restoration for the kingdom uh, and God's people that comes about in the 21st verse. Another way to kind of think of that is that um, the first oracle concerns Edom and God's vow to bring the nations down and Edom's defeat that is guaranteed. And then a third oracle that highlights again Edom's mistreatment of Judah. And the fourth oracle, uh, the 15th to 21st verse, is the day of the Lord, which is directly referenced. Um, just a way for us to think about and organize it. So, what is, what is Obadiah saying to us? And, I, and I've talked a lot already this morning, but it's, <coughs> we've seen in Hosea and Joel and Amos this lifting up of this understanding of the day of the Lord, which is a direct word usage in the 15th verse. For the day of the Lord draws near in all the nations. And this is the beginning of that second half of the book, <coughs> or second oracle. It's being highlighted, but not just as a time of destruction. Um, although no hope is given for Edom, the message is broader than Edom, and it's meant for God's people, never sent to Edom. And it's placed in the context of judgment on all nations, which is um, a good <coughs> word for the Jewish people to hear. The day of the Lord is, is that day ultimate goal towards which all of history is heading. And, and we see here that the, the real significant part of that is God's punishment of those who oppose him that is being lifted up in hope for God's people. Which also invites us into our own thinking and reflecting. <coughs> and as I do, I'll have a couple questions at the end for us that, that you can see or if you're on... Uh, a podcast you'll just have to remember but I will say those again later that Obadiah lifts up a truth that anyone who trusts in anything but God and God's sovereignty it's never secure um, or anyone who security comes in any participation on their own or that something other than God provides will always and ultimately be let down that is the truth of not just the prophets, 
and not just Obadiah, but the truth of an understanding of the Old Testament. Any reliance upon kings or self or, or, or uh, monetary or power and authority always disappears. It's only God. Um, and and that's, that's a good thought for us if we think of ourselves as Edomites. We're not Edomites. But in the sense of the transient nature of who they were, invites us into that own similar reflection, reflection about what we think will provide power and security for us um, other than God. And also, we are invited to reflect and think about how the Lord holds accountable um, those who take advantage of others in their distress. The, the focus here is upon Edom and its taking advantage of, of the Israelite, the nation, specifically Jerusalem and Judah. But there's also a, a significant understanding of how God, throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, is uh, the one who protects and cares for the least. The, the widow and the orphan is what we see in the New Testament. Those in distress and, um, and those yearning for release from captivity and slavery in the Old Testament. God stands alongside with the, of those and remembers and brings about justice. It may not be swift, but it is complete. And then finally, there's a sense here of reminding us of the faithfulness of God to the covenant promises that is made with Abraham. I've spoken about this, that the God who promised land and people promised to bless those who bless the Hebrew people and to curse those who curse them. And it's illustrated powerfully here in this whole judgment against Edom. And it has been significant, that understanding of the covenant relationship has been significant in our own American geopolitical orientation, uh, especially in reference and reality to the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and there's a whole... Uh, the theology of government that's built on that that I'm not going to go into, but it is important for us to reconcile and reflect upon that understanding of God's uh, relationship with God's people. Reminded as well then in Paul, in, in the Romans, that we the Gentiles have been grafted into the wild olive branch as a, as a, uh, a visual Reminder that we too have been captured up in God and are God's people. Um, so, so here are my final two questions for you to think about and reflect after you read Obadiah. Or one of the reasons I like to ask him is to have them in your mind while you read the prophet and see what you come up with afterwards. So, first question. What is our response when others take advantage of us, especially during times of misfortune? What do we tip, how do we typically want to act, or how do we act when others take advantage of us? Um, I, I, I think about that in the simplest terms of, of like getting on an expressway or, or needing to, to move over and, and when others don't let me. And, and how do I react? How do I respond? And, and typically that's an anger and, and uh, an expression then of, of my power and, and how I can get around for them or get back to them and so on and so forth. That's in its simplest Broaden that out to when we're taken advantage of in, in very important things. 
So, and then the other question, how do or what do we, how do we trust God to be just, to be just? How do we trust God to be just? How, what do we, how do we expect God to act? What do we look for? Or do we take things, matters into our own hands and bring about that justice for ourselves? How does God's justice think different than our own? Think about that. And I look forward to gathering with you next week as we look into another very interesting prophet that's connected or collected in our minor prophets, but in most books is not. It's thought of instead as wisdom literature. But we're going to be talking about the prophet Jonah next week. And I pray that this holy week for you, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then upcoming Easter, is filled with God's presence and our invitation to reflect upon our life with God. I'll close. Father, I see all this judgment, and it's easy to think of this as somebody else's issue. And yet your word is for us and who we are, who I am. Praise you that you invite me to wrestle with who I am in you and with you. May it be so to bring glory to your name. Through Christ I pray. Amen. See you next week.